You are listening to the Landmark Sermon Series, a sermon podcast nearly 40 years in the making. You'll hear the voices of our church's founding pastors, Dr. James Reeves and Alan McBrayer, as well as others who helped pave the way for City on a Hill beginning all the way back in the early 1980s. Our hope is that these sermons bless you and challenge you in the same way they have blessed and challenged so many others in the past. For more information about our church, visit www.cityonahilldfw.com. In, in, in Jerusalem and in Judea, this land was under authority and under the rulership of the Roman government. The Jews were not able to rule themselves. They had been taken captive as they have throughout their history. They were taken captive and the Roman government was ruling over the land of Judea and Jerusalem, which was the land of the Jewish people where Jesus was born. Throughout Jesus' life, his country was under the authority and under the rulership of Rome. Now, Rome was a pretty good ways off, so they had to send some kings, and they had to send what they called procurators, which really were simply governors, to rule in the land of Judea and to make sure that the Jewish people did what the Roman government wanted them to do. One of those individuals who was a procurator from, from the Roman Empire who had authority over Judea, the place where Jesus was born, the place where Jesus spent most of his time, the land of the Jews, he was the ruler over Judea for Rome. His name was Pontius Pilate. He was the procurator, 27 years old when he came to power, first of all, a very young man. Pontius Pilate is the one that when the Jews captured Jesus and wanted him killed, they brought him to Pilate because the Romans were in in control and they had to come to the procurator in order to, to have him sentence the Lord Jesus. Okay, so that is what this passage is about. That's a little bit of background about the passage so that later, In the message, you'll understand a little bit more about some of the things that I'm going to say. Pontius Pilate was the the procurator to whom Jesus was was brought. He was the one that had the authority and finally did sentence Jesus to be crucified. Read with me, if you will, in the 27th chapter of Matthew, verses 11 through 31. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he made no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge, so that the governor, Pilate, was quite amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the multitude any one prisoner whom they wanted. That means that the Roman government had some Jewish prisoners. And once a year, during the time of this feast, the custom was that they would release one of those prisoners into the hands of the Jewish people and allow him to go free. And that's what he's talking about. Verse 16, And they were holding at that time a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. When therefore they were gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that because of envy they had delivered Jesus up. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. 
But the governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And they said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they, but they kept shouting all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the multitude, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas for them. But after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. And they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe upon him. And after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they kneeled down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took his robe off and put his garments on him. And they led him away to crucify him. Take a hymnal, if you will. As we turn to him. Even now he's passing 
Isn't that a great choir? We had about uh, five or six new members join the choir the other night, and about four of them are out of town this weekend. Five of the new ones came in, and about four of the old ones we had to go out of town, uh, two of them out for reasons of death, and a couple of others uh, are sick. And So, boy, if we ever get them all up there at one time, we're going to fill that thing up. But uh, that's a great choir, and they're putting up with my less-than-professional leadership, and I appreciate that very much. Uh -huh. It was all over for him now. The springtime for him was gone. The warm days of Galilean ministry were ended. He sat in a cell in the praetorium and waited for the end. Above him in the place of judgment, the bema, the judgment seat, Pilate sat virtually alone and brooded. Only one guard stood at the door, idly watching the young 27-year-old procurator of Judea. Pilate's head buried in his hands, he sat and remembered a very strange man, a man who now sat in a dungeon cell far beneath him, a strange man who had come for his first trial before Pilate and had said things that Pilate had never had said to him before, and Pilate had seen and felt things that he had never felt before, a man that Pilate half suspected must be a Roman instead of a Jew, so noble of bearing, silent of demeanor, gracious and gentle even under cross-examination, firm and clear-eyed, and unlike Pilate, unafraid. For Pilate was a man in deep, deep trouble. He had been well-trained in Rome. He had gone up under a patron by the name of Serginus. Serginus had taught him to hate the Jews. Philo and Josephus, both Jewish historians, tell us that Pilate was a hater of the Jews. Serginus was a noted anti-Semite in Rome. For some reason that Pilate was unable to understand, his patron Serginus had been killed by Tiberius Caesar on October 19th, A.D. 31. And now Pilate whose career at, le at best had been checkered, was wondering what was going to happen to him. What strange breezes were blowing through the empire, and now these Jews, in another of their foolish religious plots, had brought some obviously innocent man and were demanding his death, for the gods only know what causes. And now his wife, his wife in this land of stones and prophets, now his wife is even going mad. She's dreaming dreams. Have nothing to do with this religious man, for I have suffered many things in a dream this night because of him. The worst of it all, the worst of it all, was that Pilate knew it was true. Pilate knew it. He knew the man was innocent. Not that that really mattered to Pilate, you understand. Because Pilate despised the Jews. He despised their plots and their intrigue. He despised the way that they complicated his life. But what can he do? Jesus. A strange name. Jesus. And then he had it. In a moment, Pilate had it. The grand aha and in the toss of a toga, he was out of his chair. He had it. There are two Jesuses. 
in the same prison, two Jesuses. There's Jesus the Christ, popular and appealing. And then there was Jesus Barabbas, Sakari, dagger-bearer, assassin, robber, and murderer. Now he knew what to do. So he gestured to the guard and the prisoners were summoned. And he went out onto the balcony. And the crowds had gathered as they always did because, you see, the Jews would never face the Romans unless they were in a great crowd. It was the 14th of Nisan, and they were gathered for the releasing of a prisoner, as was their custom. But you know, as Pilate went, he thought to himself, they have no custom like this. We have no custom like this. All that we have is a precedent. And if you ever set a precedent in Judea, you'll have to do it forever. There is a steady roar outside. The Jews would never face the Romans without a great crowd. There's a mob outside, more than he expected, and they are roaring steadily and steadily, roaring and roaring, and the prisoners are brought out on either side of him. On the left side is Jesus, and on the right side is a Jesus. And he raised his hands, and in his best possible imitation of Tiberius Caesar, he says, Whom will you that I release to you? And Pilate heard the reply, Jesus the Christ, the King of the Jews, or Jesus Barabbas, whom will you that I release unto you? And Pilate was stunned as the infiltrated mob roared back, Barabbas! Barabbas, release Barabbas. Why, Pilate asked, scarcely to be heard. Why, what will you do with this Jesus? Crucify, crucify, crucify him, they said. Now, Pilate was shocked. Not content with just capital punishment, but they are demanding that he be crucified. And under Roman law, a man could only be crucified if he were guilty of high treason. What evil has he done? Crucify! 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 Under Roman law, if a man were guilty of high treason, he would be sentenced to one of three punishments, depending upon his status in Roman society. Were he noble and famous, he would be banished to a desert island somewhere. But the ordinary citizen in Rome, guilty of treason, would not simply be beheaded, but also would have his body cast to the animals in the arena. But in the provinces, and Judea was a province of Rome, in the provinces they allowed something that was even forbidden under Roman law. So cruel, so lingering, so slow that even the Romans would not practice it upon Romans, except in the provinces. And that was crucifixion. So Pilate waved a weary arm and dismissed the prisoners to the fate of the mob, for there is one word and one word only that goes through his mind time and time again. 
gain, no gain, no gain in this ploy, no gain in disadvantage, no move, nothing more that I can do. And he released unto them Barabbas, and the other Jesus they took away to be scourged. Let me ask you a question. Do you understand scourging? They took a whip that was embedded with bits of bone and metal, and they whipped the prisoner until his body was literally in shreds. On one occasion, it was said of a prisoner who had been scourged, he was beaten until his bowels showed. And of another, it was said, he was beaten until his bones were on public display. And if you think that is cruel, if you think scourging is cruel, you must understand that it was done as a mercy so that the crucified one would die sooner hanging upon the cross. It was done as a mercy. The crowds replied, Crucify! 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 I have only three questions for you this morning. There are three questions that I think that any honest individual must ask himself in the face and in the light of this awfulness, this tragedy, of the fact that Jesus the Christ, the King of the Jews, went to be scourged and crucified, and Jesus Barabbas, a murderer, a dagger-bearer, went free. Three questions that you must ask yourself if you would be honest with yourself this morning. The first one is this. How can we trust a God who gives up his silent son to a howling mob? How can you trust a God who would give up his silent son to a howling mob while a murderer, a robber, goes free? How could you trust a God like that? No crime. Three times, Pilate said, no crime, yet he's going to die. He is going to be sacrificed from the altar of Roman expediency. Pilate will save his own career, as he always did. He will save his own career. He will not inflame those crowds of Jews again. He had done it once, and it had almost been his downfall. His first year as procurator over Judea, he had so incensed the Jews that they came by the thousands in the streets, tore off their clothes, and bared their necks, daring him to slaughter them in the streets in a slaughter that was even unheard of in the reign of Tiberius. He would not run that risk again of being deposed. But you know, in fact, he would be deposed in a few short years where Pontius Pilate was banished for incompetency to a remote desert island. But in the meanwhile, in the meantime, Jesus, who is the Christ, will die. How can we trust a God who will allow his only son to be given to a howling mob while a murderer goes free? He was sacrificed because the rulers of the Jews, who professed such a great love for the law, the details of the law which they in their own trial of Jesus violated no less than eight times. Their own judicial codes, their own rules, they professed that they loved the law, yet they violated it no less than eight times. 
in their mock trial of Jesus, the Son of God. Oh, they had already said what they loved and what they cared about. They feared lest this Jesus take away both their place and their nation. Ah, we live in a world like that, don't we? We live in a world like that. We live in the kind of world where for expedience sake and gain, men and women will do almost anything to each other and have done almost anything to each other for fear that someone is going to take away their place and their nation. A world of greed, of grabbing, of trampling, of neck breaking and arm twisting. Advantage, caring only for personal favor that can be wrested out of the hands of someone else. Let me ask you a question. How can you trust a God in the midst of a world like that whose own son was crucified beneath it? How can you trust a God like that? Not content just to take his life. No, they weren't content to do that. They had to beat him. They had to scourge him. And the unfairness of our world is reflected in the crucifixion of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Christina Rossetti wrote, Am I a stone and not a sheep that I can stand at thy cross, O Christ, beneath thy feet to number drop by drop thy blood's slow loss and not weep and not weep? Not so those women who loved with exceeding grief, who lamented thee. Not so, fallen Peter, weeping bitterly. Not so, the thief who was moved. Not so, the sun and moon which hid their faces in a starless sky. A horror of great darkness. At broad moon I, only I, weep not. Yet give me not over, but seek thy sheep true shepherd of the flock. Greater than Moses, turn and look once more and strike this rock. You'll never reach the glory and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ until your heart has been broken at the injustice of the crucifixion. But if our first question is most painful, how can we trust a God who gives up his silent son to an angry and howling mob, our second question is even more important. How can we doubt a God who would give up his only son that way for our sins? As much as you as an individual this morning and throughout life may be tempted not to trust him when you see the way that this world is going, and how he allowed his son to be rejected and slaughtered when Barabbas, which means, by the way, son of the father, is allowed to go his own merry way, you must be faced with the question, but how can I doubt a God that loves me that much? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us everything? The scripture says that. How shall he 
who did not spare his own son, also give us with him everything. And so two questions. The first still rings clear and true. Can we trust a God who would allow that to happen to his son? But then, even as we are asking that question, the answer is found in the asking of the second question. How can we doubt a God who loved us that much? And then the third, the most important, the most crucial question that has ever been asked, the most important and crucial question that you could ask and that you could answer this morning. The third, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? That's the same question that Pilate asked the angry mob that day, and God is asking you that question this morning. The mob rejected, and they dragged him away to be scourged and crucified, a blameless man, a sinless man, and a robber, a murderer, went free. But in that very act, the way was made that you and I could gain eternal life if we would only accept him as Savior. And each of you today must answer that question. Each of you today must be faced with that question. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Will you continue to reject him or will you receive him and by that receive eternal life? This morning in Sunday school, we studied about the temptations of Jesus, how he could have chosen to be a very glamorous king, calling down the angels in power from heaven to set up his kingdom on earth, but he didn't do that. He did not choose to do that. That would have been the easy way, but he chose the way of the cross instead. And you ask a question, and rightly so, on the basis of what you've heard this morning of how terrible a death it was, how they scourged him and then crucified him, you might ask, but why the cross? Why the cross? Why not an easier way? Why could there not have been another way? And the answer is simply this, that it is by the cross, by that awful crucifixion, that God has shown us the consequences of our sin. By the Christ who was crucified, God has shown you and me the consequences of our sins. Our sin crucified Jesus. Your sin crucified the Son of Glory. We crucified Jesus by our sins. And by the cross, by the terrible, the awful way of the cross, God has chosen to show us the consequences of our sins. But even more than that, even more than that, God has chosen the cross to show us the depth, the incomparable depth of his love, that he would be willing to sacrifice his only son, that he would be willing to allow his son, who was blameless, who was without sin, to go before an angry, howling mob and be scourged and be crucified, the worst death known to man at that time. How can you trust a God who would allow that to happen to his son? You can find the answer in the second question. How can you doubt? How can you doubt a God 
who loves you that much? And finally, the question, what will you do with Jesus? Bow your head with me, if you will. Every head bowed in the entire place, no one looking away. Please, bow your heads. I want to speak to you very candidly. I want to speak to you very point blank. There are some of you this morning who have genuinely never had your heart broken at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You have never actually received Jesus into your heart, and the proof of that has been in the fact that you have not attempted to serve Him with your entire life. And this morning, you have heard of the love of God. This morning, you have heard of the awfulness of the crucifixion that shows us the incomparable love of a God who was willing to allow His Son to die a death like that for your sins and for mine. And this morning, you are going to come and you are going to say, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. I want to love Him. I want to know for certain that when I die, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven with Him. Has your heart been broken this morning at the injustice of the crucifixion? God did that for you. He did that for me. He has shown us His love in allowing His Son to die death like that. Some of you this morning who have been Christians for a long time, God has convicted your heart that you have been lethargic, you have been uncaring, you have not wanted to serve Him. And in the face and in the light of the undying love of the Son of God, God has spoken to you this morning. And you need to come and you need to kneel here at this altar and you need to pray. You may want to come talk with me. You need to get it right with God. You need to get your life once again in tune with God. How much does He love you? He loved you enough that when you were yelling at the top of your lungs, crucify, 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 He said, okay. He said, okay. That's the way it'll be because I love you enough to sacrifice for your sins. Father, we pray that this morning you would speak to our hearts as you already have and those individuals who don't know Jesus. Father, we are looking forward to seeing them swallow that pride, those years of rejection, and Father, with a soft heart to your Holy Spirit, step forward this morning and say, I want to know Jesus as my Savior. I want to love Him just a little bit of how He has loved me. I want to follow Him and give my life to Him. Father, I pray that your will would be done this morning, that you would speak to all of our hearts, and Father, that you would move in our midst. Break our hearts, Father, at the injustice of the crucifixion, enough that we would be willing to submit to you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask you to stand and keep your heads bowed. Just stand with us where you are right now. Stand and with your heads bowed, the choir is going to sing hymn number 363, I Surrender All. But I want to ask you just to stand and not sing. And just with your heads bowed, you pray and ask God, God, what is it that you want to do in my life today? Father, what is it that I need to do? And as God speaks to you, then you come forward and you make that decision. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, or you're not sure that you do, this morning, He's speaking to you that you need to get that straight and you need to know for sure before you leave here. So I'll be at the front to receive you. The choir will sing as you stand. Christians, be praying.